Jesus loved to tell parables. And um, I, I, it's funny, I learned Greek years ago, and um, I never ever realized that it, the word parable had a meaning. The word para is a Greek word that means alongside. You know, like you've got doctors and then you've got paramedics. It's like medical people that are alongside the doctors. And so a parable is a para, it's an alongside bole, which means to throw. It's like to throw something alongside. So it's, it's, like, it's like an illustration. It's like you've got the point you're making, but then you throw in a thing on the side to kind of like explain it or give it life. You know, Jesus, he loved to tell stories and um, people listen to stories. And Jesus told a story about, he told lots of them, but he told this one about the mustard seed, which turned into a mustard tree. And it's found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. And it says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. I thought, hmm, mustard seeds are pretty small. Have you ever gone and bought whole grain mustard from the shops? Had a look at those seeds? They're pretty small seeds. And, um, but I thought it's, it's the weirdest thing. Mustard Mustards, mustard seed, what are those things? Anyway, you plant one, you don't get a tree, you get a mustard plant. And I went and Googled and I looked at, I found a photo of a mustard plant. Hopefully, we have this photo for you. That is a field of mustard plants. There are definitely no birds perching in the branches there. And um, however, Upon doing a little bit more digging into this, it turns out there's a mustard plant, which is the one we all think of, but then there's a mustard tree. And when we eat mustard on our sandwich, we're not eating from the mustard tree. <laughs> we're eating from the mustard plant. There's like two different things here. So I have found for you a photo of a mustard tree, which is that one there. Now that can definitely handle a few birds. And that can definitely be the biggest of the trees in the garden. It can be the biggest of the garden plants if you planted one of those. And um, this particular tree is also called the toothbrush tree, apparently, because even the World Health, World Health Organization has endorsed this tree because you can snap off the branches and use them to clean your teeth. Something about it. I don't know how exactly that works. But it's a toothbrush tree, but it's also called the mustard tree. And one of the features of this tree is it grows fast. They reckon, just from my Googling this week, you can plant a mustard, not the mustard seed you're thinking of, that's from the mustard plant. You can plant a mustard seed from this tree and within um, four to five weeks, apparently it's got roots and it's popped out of the ground like pretty quick for a tree. Not for a plant, we see plants grow that quick, but for a tree, that's fast growth. And um, in the land of Israel, Palestine, in that whole area, they don't have a lot of very big trees. If you go to, because I remember thinking, oh, there's really big trees in the world, way bigger than this. Like in California, you've got those giant redwoods and sequoia trees. They're so big, you can 
chop out enough space to drive a car through the trunk. You might have seen those photos. Well, they don't have those giant trees in Israel. Trees don't get a lot bigger than that. And, um, but that, these trees get to about 30 feet maximum, but on average size, about 20 feet. That's still a pretty good tree. And, um, but the point is, the seed is, is quite small, but when planted, grows fast. So Jesus was wanting to make the point that the kingdom of heaven is something that's really quite small when it starts out, but it grows fast and becomes the biggest thing in the garden. Well, it's a great illustration if you're thinking of the actual mustard tree and not of the mustard plant, and, um, which explains why so many people thought Jesus didn't understand his plants, but he did. It's us that don't understand our plants. And um, I also have a picture, by the way, of mustard seed tree seeds. That's them there. So they are small. Um, that's zoomed quite in, but they're, they're roughly the size of the actual mustard plant seeds. They're small. They're like about a millimetre in size. They're quite tiny. And um, so, yeah, they are, they are very small seeds. Now, some people also said, well, no, but there are smaller seeds in the world than those, but they miss the point. Yeah, in this modern scientific world where we've categorised thousands and thousands of trees, you know, orchid seeds are like so small that you can fit thousands of them into a pinhead. That's not the point. The point is that at the time Jesus was preaching, they didn't know about all the millions of plants in the world. And this is like the smallest seed that they knew of. So it made complete sense to all the people at the time. So the kingdom of heaven starts as something very, very small and grows fast and becomes something very substantial. And I thought this is an illustration. It's a really good illustration, not just to the kingdom of heaven, but of what God's doing with us and what God's doing with this apostolic message. And um, not that that's really my topic for today, um, but the Lord has said things that he wants to do with us, but they seem really, really big. They seem really, really grand. They seem really, really impossible. And um, even this week I was contemplating some of what needs to happen for the apostolic message to have an effect, and I was thinking, it just seems impossible. You know, some of the conversations you have with pastors in other congregations and the traditions they have and the way they do things, and you think, it'll never change. <laughs> That's how it seems. It feels like, uh, it feels like, you know, I've got to eat an elephant and I've got to do it now and it's all got to be gone by tonight. Kind of like it just feels like, how are we ever going to do this thing? But what's the Lord say? He says, no, this kingdom of mine, it starts small, but it grows fast and it becomes big. Well, we know about the big because we've been given all the promises. But we, we actually, if you think about all the things that have been said over the years as a church, things, even some of the photos that were shared this morning, the key, all of this started small 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And it's amazing how much has actually changed. Dad was talking to me about this last night. He was talking about the idea of city eldership. This is just an example. But when he started, you know, back in High Street, uh, not High Street, Norman Road, there was this night that a word came in the church council. I might have the stories very slightly wrong, but it's, this is the gist of it. The word came, and I think it was um, Dad who got the word, that we needed to disband the eldership of the church because the Lord was raising a different eldership. 
And Dad, at the time, was telling me last night, he said he didn't have a clue what the eldership was that the Lord was, reigning, was raising because to him, the elders that they had in the church was a biblical eldership. But they disbanded the eldership and um, still had church council, but they just didn't have people called elders. And um, then Dad's preaching around the world that, that the Lord's going to raise this new eldership, but... And then all of a sudden, one day, he's on the Gold Coast or somewhere down south, and he has a revelation. He sees the eldership that the Lord was raising, which was, it's an eldership in a city. He's now written a whole book on it called The City Gate. But he saw that. But then everywhere you go in the world, he's preaching that the Lord's raising these city elders, but it's not in anyone's mind. No one sees it. No one has a clue. It, it, like it's just not a reality that can even happen. Dad said he even had to apologise. Every time he would preach, the, preach this, he would have to give an apology about, you know, this is what I think the Lord's going to do, but I can't see any way at all this is ever going to happen. Well, that was, what, 20 years ago? You could say that was a seed. Even the, the preaching of that idea was a seed sown into the spirit realm. But now, we meet back here behind this wall on a Tuesday morning with pastors from Rockhampton, and I have heard other pastors in this city people like Mark Chamberlain and other people who have referred to us as the elders of the city, spiritually, you know. Well, it's gone from, what, 20 years ago, an idea that we didn't even know, no one knew, and then once we knew it, impossible, to now, not just here, all over the world, pastors are meeting together. They're starting to realise we're elders. We're elders together. Now, what on earth is that? That is the kingdom of God. God growing like crazy. You wouldn't think it was growing like crazy because life's just normal every day. We go to school, we go to work, we go to church, we brush our teeth, we have the same struggles, we eat, you know, spaghetti bolognese for dinner. We do all the regular things that people do and life doesn't feel like the kingdom of God is growing like crazy but if you stop and really think about it, it is. That's quite unbelievable that that happened in, 20, in just 20 years. Well, the Lord has called us to be a part of this great change, but we're just us. We're not very special people. How is it that we can, the Lord can give us promises and do great things? Well, I don't know. I don't know how that works. But the fact is, he is doing that. He's raising apostles. My father is an apostle. He's raising other people who are apostles. These aren't just people who are pastors that we call apostles. No, it's something different. We've been learning about that. But even that is an astounding change in the world. Because 30 years ago, no one believed there were apostles. Now I'm studying a master's degree in theology and we all have discussions about what apostles are. This is like with Presbyterians and Anglicans that we discuss what apostles are. I've had conversations here in the city with ministers and we've discussed what apostles are. These are like traditional ministers. It, it's, it's an idea that's well and truly out there now. Well, that's the kingdom of God growing like crazy. Now, we need to believe that it's going to become a big tree. <laughs> it's already a big tree in some ways, but it's going to get bigger. Anyway, there's a bit more to this whole mustard thing, and this is the point that I also want to get to this morning. Now, the first point is that we've been given something 
by the Lord, which seems small and yet we know is supposed to be big. We're a part of all of that. We feel small. We feel like we're incapable of doing it, but the Lord himself is big. We're small. The Lord is big. He gives us ideas that start small. They're going to become big. Somehow we're a part of all of that, and it's for his glory. This microphone is a complicated arrangement. I'm still getting used to it. Can I get you to pull that back through my shirt? Thank you so much. We'll get better. That, it's also an expensive... Well, I won't use it, I think. Yeah. It's also an expensive little mic. So we've got to get better at figuring that out. And um, anyway, where was I? Mustard. Quick survey. Who likes mustard? About half of the... Uh, more than half of the people. I like it at times. It's always nice to surprise people with mustard on a sandwich... Because then they'll, it's funny, I made sandwiches one day, made a sandwich for my dad a few weeks ago, and I put mustard on the sandwich, but he didn't know. And then he said there was something really good about that sandwich. It's the mustard. So, <laughs> so uh, there you go. Not everyone likes it, though. Now, if you do a Google search or a Bible gateway search and type in the word mustard, it comes up about seven times in the Bible. Jesus is the author of all seven references to mustard, and all of them are not mustard, like the type that goes on a sandwich. All of them are to this tree and the seeds of the tree. And so there's a moment when um, Jesus goes up. Um, Jesus goes up the biggest mountain in Israel, and he's transfigured on the top of that mountain. So you all know the story of the transfiguration. It's Matthew chapter 17. You can go read it later. It says in in Matthew's gospel, it says he climbed a very high mountain. There's only one mountain in all of Israel that's very high. It's Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon. Just in the previous verses, it says that Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi, which happens to be at the base of that mountain. So we're pretty sure he climbed this very, very high mountain. I have a photo of it. This is a photo in winter. This is like more than three kilometres high. It's covered in snow. And then what happens in summer is it melts, all the snow melts, and that's where you get the runoff for the Jordan River and goes into the Dead Sea and all of that. So it's a fabulous mountain. Jesus, I'm guessing, climbed it in summer and not in winter. But it says it took, I think it took six days for him to climb the mountain. It says something like that. It says six days later he went up this high mountain. People say that it can take a quite a few days to climb this mountain. So anyway, that's Mount Hermon. And right after the transfiguration we get this story in the Bible. So Jesus is, it's believed, still at the base of this mountain, Mount Hermon, because he hasn't gone back to Galilee yet. It doesn't say he's back in Galilee till the very next chapter. So here we are, we're reading Matthew 17. Jesus comes down from that giant mountain and um, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he says. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
you can say to this mountain, and notice it says this mountain. It's not you can say to a mountain, it's say to this mountain. They're actually there at the base of that giant mountain. You could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I once tried to move a paperclip by faith. It, it didn't work. Um, I got that idea from that very famous book about Adrian Plass. Yeah, he was trying to move paperclips by faith and it didn't work for him either. And um, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that we know there's no reason you need to move a paperclip. And so you kind of know deep down, oh, it's not going to work because, you know, it's not, it's not needed. It's just a useless, a useless uh, thing to do. But sometimes you come to a moment in life where there's a situation that does need to move and only the Lord can move it. And it's, it's a situation like that that the Lord's talking about. A mountain, like not, a, not Mount Hermon, but a, like a figurative mountain. Something in your life that's a big problem or something that needs to shift or an apostolic message that needs to change the world and you don't know how it's going to do it, but you need a little faith. It turns out you need a mustard seed's worth of faith, which is not very much. So Jesus uses this reference to mustard seeds twice in the Bible, once talking about how the kingdom of God is going to grow like crazy and the other time about how much faith you need to see kingdom things happen. And both times it's referring to small things that are going to turn into big things. And um, I, I remember saying to someone once, uh, well, you don't need very much faith at all to see God answer your prayers. And their response to me was, well, if you don't need very much faith... I must have a really, really, really little amount of faith. <laughs> like they're, they're kind of thinking, you know, if, if you don't need much faith, that must be the amount you've got. You know, I must have a little faith and they must have a really little amount of faith. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is trying to say is that the smallest amount of faith you've got is enough. You might only have a pinprick of faith. That's enough. Because the, re the reason is this, and I'm about to show you, it's not, faith isn't like glue or something. You know, with glue, you can stick things to something else. So it's like the more glue you've got, the better a job it'll do of sticking. So you might think, oh, I've got to stick this heavy thing to a wall. I need a lot of glue. That, but faith isn't like glue. We think that if we've got more faith, we'll do more things. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't a thing where the more of it, the, the better it works. Faith is about your trust in Jesus. It's like your eyes on him. So if you're looking at him, you're looking at him. And you've only got to have a little bit of like that sense of looking to Jesus and you've got enough because you're looking to him. That's what faith is. It's almost like an on or off thing. It's like if you've got some faith in Jesus... You have enough. And uh, anyway, there is an example in the Bible that demonstrates this. And um, before I read it, I might, might tell you a personal illustration. I think um, if you're a dad, if you're a mum too, but especially if you're a dad, you often carry your children in at night from the car and put them in bed. How many dads have done that? I must have done it hundreds of times. 
And, um, you know, you're, you're out at some event and it's late at night and a little kid comes up to you and says, Dad, I want to go home. And um, you have, you know, so you, you go to the car and the little kid just goes, and they're out. That little, that little child is not worrying about what's the navigational process for us to get home? How are we going to get there? Is it going to be safe on the way? You know, uh, you know, and they basically are at the point where dad's looking after it and they just wake up in the morning in their bed. What could be easier than that? That is faith. They're not trying to make it happen. They're not trying to, like, navigate home. They're not trying to stay awake so we don't crash the car. Not trying to make it up the steps into the bed. Dad's got it. From a child's point of view, it's faith because they're not trying to do anything. There's no effort involved at all. It's faith. It's just trust. Dad's got it. I can go to bed and I'll, I'll just go to sleep and I'll wake up in my bed tomorrow. Isn't that nice? Well, that's what faith is. It's just saying, Lord, it's yours. Look after it. You've got it. So we have an example of this in the Bible. And it's not only an example of this, it's the shortest prayer in the Bible that I'm aware of, and it's also the fastest ever answered prayer that I'm aware of in the Bible. It's an amazing. And you might not have ever thought when you read this story that this was a prayer, but it's exactly what it is. It's the story of Peter walking on the water, which you've heard a thousand sermons. Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side when he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. That's an interesting word, terrified. You ever stopped and thought about that, how scared? that You know, they weren't just scared, they were terrified. <laughs> ah! If you didn't believe in ghosts, you do now. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. It's something walking on the water that's coming to get them. <laughs> and, um, but Jesus immediately says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter then got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he be- beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. There, the shortest prayer in the Bible. I, can- I don't think there's a quicker... There's a shorter prayer, although I have prayed a shorter prayer than that. Coming back from Blackdown Tablelands one time, 20 years ago when there were no guardrails on the, you know, Blackdown Tablelands, all those giant dirt road that goes up the cliffs with no guardrails. There is guardrails now, thank God. But coming back all those years ago, this car was, we were coming back down, fully loaded up with a trailer, fully loaded up with camping equipment. And I wasn't driving, but someone hits the brakes. The brakes lock up, and the car starts sliding on the dirt straight toward the cliff. And I prayed an even shorter prayer than this one. Lord, help. (laughs) It's amazing how he hears those prayers. (laughs) 
Anyway, I was, I'm alive, as you can tell. So um, Peter prays, Lord, save me. Shortest prayer in the Bible from what I can figure out. And immediately, quickest answer to a prayer, I think, in the Bible, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Okay. He's had his prayer answered. He's prayed a prayer, Lord, save me. The prayer is answered immediately, and Jesus tells him he has little faith. His prayer got answered. See the point? He has little faith, but his prayer was answered. That's that's what I'm saying. You only need a little bit of faith, and the Lord will hear your prayer. Because faith is looking to the Lord. Peter is on the, water, on the water and the waves. When he's not looking at the Lord, he's filled with anxiety. But he looks at the Lord and says, Lord, save me. And the Lord hears his prayer. And Jesus says, you've got, you have little faith. <laughs> well, I'm so encouraged by this story because I always feel like, apart from the walking on the water part, that's me. I've tried to walk on water too. That didn't work. I've tried all these things. Just, well, you know, who doesn't want to try them, right? And I think it's one, there was no reason for me to walk on water, so that's probably why it didn't work. I've also tried running on water with thongs, and I didn't get far with that either. Skiing, I've never tried that. But, um, but apart from that, that, you know, like I can relate to Peter because I think so often I, just like him, get my eyes on the wind and the waves and and all the things going on in life that easily cause anxiety and worry and stress and doubt. And will my children ever, you know, sometimes you have children that don't know the Lord or they're not following the Lord at certain times in their life. Will they find you and you're worried? And Lord, help. Hey, you've looked at the Lord with a little bit of faith. You've done it. That's all you need to do because he that's, what did Jesus say? A little bit of faith can move a mountain. So don't focus on the fact that you can't do it. Just look at the Lord because he can. If your eyes are on you, of course you won't do it. It's you. But if your eyes are on him, he's able. It's him. Well, we've got a church list things we're believing for. We've got personal, each of us have a list as well of personal points and some of them are spiritual things and some of them are, some, we're praying for people to get saved, we're praying for breakthrough in our lives in various ways, health breakthroughs for some people, some people need breakthrough in business, cash flow, all sorts of things. We've got things we're praying for. The point is you're not supposed to strive you're not trying to make your prayer get answered because that's actually not faith. Faith is just looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, help. That's faith. He's the one who's going to do it. And if you've got a little bit of that type of faith, you don't even have to have a heap, just a little bit. Enough like even Peter had a little bit, just enough. <laughs> and the Lord can work to answer your prayer.
And uh, some prayers are answered immediately. Like, you know, Peter, saved immediately. Or like me, coming down from Blackdown, lived to tell the tale. Um, but some prayers take a little longer to get answered. But it doesn't mean the Lord isn't working. So you just keep your eyes on him and you thank him that he's at work for you. So we're believing as a church to see the Lord do big things. You know, we're not big, we're not big, wonderful, grand, fancy people. We're just small and ordinary people. But we have a big and grand, a wonderful God. And he has given us promises which seem too big for, too big, well, in my mind, they seem too big for us. It'd be a bit like Abraham and the Lord gave him those promises. You can be the father of many nations. And he's like, well, who am I? You know, King David, he, he said, I'm just, a, I'm just a dead dog. Who am I that, you know, you're making these promises to? But for some reason, the Lord picks dead dogs. He picks lowly people and he makes grand promises to them. And we need to do one thing. We need to believe him. And we need to pray with our trust placed in him. And then whatever he tells us to do, we'll do it. And we'll let him bring about the grand things he wants to bring about through us. So my message is a message of faith and encouragement today. Hopefully you'll take that into your personal prayers. I, um, I'm going to call the band back and we'll, we'll sing in just a second. But I, I had a feeling this last few weeks in myself, and it's a feeling I've recognised before. Now, I've never had children uh, physically given birth to children, but people who've done that, um, they share their experiences and with each other, and I've overheard these stories. And when a, a lady's never had given birth the first, you know, when she's never given birth, bef- given birth before, she'll often ask other ladies, "What's it like? What's it feel like?" You know, often they're they're worried about the pain and all of that. But after they've given birth, they've experienced it. And then when they give birth a second or third or fourth time, they recognise the feelings associated with the birth process. Oh, this is what it feels like when, you know, your waters break. Or this is what it feels like when you're fully dilated. They recognise those feelings. Of course, males have no clue what it feels like to feel those feelings. But they will recognise that. And so they know where they're up to in a process. And, uh, well, I had a feeling years ago when, when I was in Mount Morgan. And I've... I just had the same feeling. It's like I've recognised something that God has done before. He's done it thousands of times before, but he did it once in my own experience before, and I think he's doing it again. And this is a feeling of a church that's about to grow, about to grow quite quickly. I remember this feeling in Mount Morgan in 2002, uh, when we had five people, but there was a feeling in the church, in the way that we were praying the way, the way our faith was, had changed a little bit, that feeling is the feeling that I've got right now here at, here at peace. If the same thing happens that happened in Mount Morgan, we're going to see the church start to grow because, because our faith has changed. Our faith has become the type of faith that's being heard by God. Rather than a desperate, pleading, striving faith, which Christians often have, it feels to me like our faith has become like a trusting faith, that the Lord is doing things. We've even seen people coming to church in recent times more than normal. So I recognise that feeling and I, I'm encouraged by it and I think you should be encouraged by that too.
We're not going to strive. We're not going to try hard to make things happen, but we are going to keep our eyes on the Lord. Say, Lord, you've given us these promises. Thank you. Let's keep trusting him. How much faith do you need? Basically none. Just the smallest amount. Do you have a very, very small amount? You've got enough. (laughs) Because it's God that's going to do it, not you. If it was you, you'd need magical powers. But you don't need magical powers. God's got the, the abilities. And so we just keep our eyes on him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our eyes are on you. You're the one that rescued Peter from the waves. Lord, you're the one that raised, Lord, you raised from the dead, Lord, so that our own lives might be raised from the dead. Lord, you healed many people by the power of your mighty hand. And I thank you that that same wonder-working power of God is, is here today as it was when you walked the earth. And I thank you, Lord, that you're hearing our prayers today. Lord, I thank you that you answer prayer, that you have the ability to do things that we can't. And Lord, I thank you that you're working in our midst. And now my prayer would be, Lord, open our ears to hear your voice even more. Lord, open our hearts to believe and to trust. May grace flow at work among our people. Lord, as we pray down our own personal prayer lists, I pray that you would now move, bring our family and friends to Christ Let there be great grace at work among us. Lord, may our hearts love you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not in a weekly prayer meeting, I would be joining one. You shouldn't just only pray your own prayers. You should join in with church prayers. That's also a part of being a Christian. And we have a heap of prayer meetings every week. Six mornings a week at 6 a.m., Behind the wall here, Sunday morning at 8.45. Friday night, normally 7.30, but this Friday night at the Salvation Army at 7. As well as that, we have um, listening prayer on Wednesdays here through the week. And um, there is also a school. There are other prayer meetings, but you need to be in one. You need to be in a church prayer meeting. And join with your fellow believers to pray. It's part of what God has called us to do. So I'll leave those thoughts with you. May God bless you. Have a great week.